Let's open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and to study your word. And we ask you to be with those that aren't here. We ask you to be with Loretta. She's with family and, and visiting with her and that you give, just help her. And we just ask you to anoint this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Proverbs 22, starting at verse 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. The rich and the poor meet together, and the Lord is the maker of them all. A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple passes on and are punished. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life. Thorns and snares are the way of the forward. He that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. All right, so we're going to, this is what we normally do. We read five, about five verses and kind of go over them. Verse 1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. And we've talked often about what name is. It means reputation and, and all of that. And it says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And I've emphasized chosen for a reason. We choose a good name or a bad name, depending on what our actions are. We are in control of how our name is considered, for the most part. Now, we as Christians, as, as we move into the end days, we're, our good name is going to be considered bad, <laughs> but we're going to continue living it, hopefully, in a righteous, godly manner so that we are choosing to have a name that's honorable to God. But in most cases, we choose our name. We are either a hard worker or a lazy worker. We are either good with, good with our money or we spend our money like it's going out of style. We either are truthful or we're a liar. I mean, we, we make choices. Uh, we don't usually just fall into a bad, bad name. And this is what God is saying. A good name is rather to be chosen than riches. And this is important for us because we see a lot of people who get rich by doing wrong things, doing bad things, getting, you know, cheating people, uh, taking advantage of people. Uh, we, we've talked about in the last, the last uh, chapter about God hating diverse weights, you know, different, different weights. You buy, you buy with, one, with, a light, with, a, with a light weight and sell with a heavy weight uh, and cheating people and people not knowing what's going on and so God says we are to choose a good name and this should help us out because we will reap what we sow so if we're going to sow bad seed and sow dishonesty it'll destroy our name and we will we will reap the dishonest uh, rewards <laughs> not that we would call them rewards there would normally be pen punishment but we're going to reap whatever it is we sow and God says, choose a good name. Do things that give good name. And whether it's gossiping or, or keeping secrets, we talked a few weeks ago about covering sin. Do we go out and we blab everything we know about somebody, or do we choose not to speak what they've done? That doesn't mean that if somebody does something really bad, we don't turn them in or, or tell the police. But if somebody's done something minor, you know, and they're already being disciplined for it, we don't go out and go tell the whole world, you know what so-and-so did last night? Uh, you know, trying to show off or get, get brownie points on how much we know about the, the town because it's not what God wants. He wants us to have a good name. If something is shared with you, he wants you to know that it has been kept in integrity and, and confidence. And he says, in loving favor or mercy or grace, it rather than gold and silver, and again, it's that whole idea that having God on our side is much better than being rich. And we need to keep that in mind when it's a choice of, do I cheat this person? I, I, I know one Christian businessman who taught his, taught his salesman to, to, lie to lie to customers and everything because they needed, he wanted to make the money and it was okay because it only mattered if they were Christians. You know, you couldn't lie to Christians. I'm going, okay, well, how do you know that they're not a Christian then when you're lying to them? You know, and they'd use these things like, for today only, you can have this deal. If a salesman tells me that, I look at him, I'm going, well, if I can have it today, I can have it tomorrow because you can afford to have it tomorrow. So don't try that. Don't try this sales garbage with me. Don't lie. Don't be lying to me because that just tells me that your company is not a company with integrity. 
And it's very important that we keep a good name. Little cheating of things is terrible. You know, causing controversy and strife is a terrible thing to do. Even if we don't do it on purpose, it's terrible because it still causes controversy and strife. And we keep a good name. We keep loving favor. We love people. We, and we want to do things that will build them up and edify them, even if it doesn't seem to be the best thing for us. Because Jesus said we're to be the servant of all. And the servant is willing to say, okay, I don't get anything if you get blessed. As long as you're blessed and you're being built up and you're coming to God, it's worth just letting it slide. As long as it's not against scripture or sin. But, you know, this is what we're looking at. Verse 2, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. And basically this is saying there's no difference between the, the rich and the poor when it really comes down to God. God created them. He's the one that has blessed them or not blessed them. Verse 2, verse 2 of chapter 22. You're looking, oh, verse 2. You're looking confused. No, I was looking for 6. Oh, no, we haven't got that far yet. <laughs> the rich and the poor meet together in the Lord. The Lord is the maker of them all. And that basically is what we know at the when we start talking about the church age. As Christians, there is no difference between anybody in the church. Okay, at the foot of the cross, there's no difference. There's no male, there's no female, there's no rich, there's no poor, there's no Greek or Gentile, as, as, as Paul says. We're all equal at the cross. We're all sinners that are saved by grace. Now, as we progress and God gives us some responsibilities, we have some differences in responsibility as we go along, but we're no better than anybody else. This is what Jesus was showing the disciples when he washed their feet in the upper room at the Last Supper that he took the job of the lowest slave to wash their feet. And he was the master. Mm. And we get, we get, and this is funny because there's churches out there that make a great big deal. You've got to have foot washing ceremonies. Well, foot washing in our day and age does, is not the same thing as it was in their, air, in their day. And a matter of fact, the churches that do these big things on foot washing are really proud and arrogant of how humble they are to go down and wash people's feet. They do it in a very proud and arrogant way. Foot washing in our day would be to go to somebody's house and scrub their toilets or clean up the dog mess in their, in their, in their yard or, or something of that nature, something that is very humbling and very low. And there's no way you're going to get proud about the fact that you're doing the lowest type and dirtiest type of work that you can do. And that was the example. Jesus didn't say go and do foot washing. He said take the example which was to humble myself, humble yourself as a leader. And this is important. We go and we help people and just do little things for people sometimes. And the, and the amazing thing is sometimes when we do something really that seems humbling to us that touches people, it really does touch them with the love of God. And that's what Jesus was showing on that, being humble to do whatever the lowest thing you can think of to do. And I don't know what foot washing would be equivalent today, but I threw out two ideas that might be you know, similar. But whatever the dirtiest thing you can think of that nobody wants to do would be what foot washing is. And so you want to be careful on that. You know, we can't take these things in the Bible and say, this is exactly what I have to do. Because it doesn't mean the same thing today. The quote for that, or the saying for that is, no job is too big or small for a real person. Yeah, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. It's not bad. It's, and it's just humbling ourselves. And there's, you know, leadership in, this, in the world is you get to be a leader and you don't have to do any of the dirty jobs. You just assign them to other people. In biblical leadership, the leader humbles themselves and they'll do whatever needs to be done because they're the servant. They're not, they're not master. They're not, you know, they're not the the greatest things and sliced bread, you know, they're, they're, they do whatever needs to be done to get, get done. A pastor's got a high position because they're a teacher, but they're also to be a servant to the church and do what needs to be done to help the church. And we've all seen or heard of pastors who think they're above everything and they, you know, they try to lord it over everybody. And, you know, and, and we see it in certain churches where this happens. And that's not what God says a, a leader is. He says, if you want to be the great in, the, in his kingdom, be the servant of all. Annie? When I was assistant manager at the steakhouse, I really got to dress pretty. 
got to fix my hair pretty and got to scrub the toilets and do the dishes <laughs> during the day because we didn't bring in that much money and we couldn't afford to have anybody do it during the day, so it was my job. <laughs> well, you could have assigned it to somebody else and did their job for a while. It wasn't me. <laughs> we had like one person on the floor and I would not let her use clean the bathroom. And mm. I was also the cook, though. Verse 3, a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. And this is the idea of being discerning, listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can guide us out of the way of a lot of problems. Sometimes we are like bull, bulls in a china shop and we just bull our way through and, and mess everything up and make problems and end up getting the punishment that's going to be involved in it. And God says sometimes it's better just to sit back and let him give us guidance. And if you think about your life, hopefully you have those places where you saw a problem and kind of avoided it or fixed it if it was something fixable. But here it says that the prudent man sees the evil and hides itself, hides himself from evil. And this goes back to what we've been talking about in Psalms. God is our strong tower. He's our refuge. When we see evil coming our way, where are we to hide? This verse doesn't really tell us where to hide, but this one tells but we know when we take it to another place, we hide in God. And then he walks us through the evil, protecting us, and we are able to walk through it. Discernment, learning to just hide in God and say, God, you, you guide my tongue. You, go, you guide my eyes. You keep me from trouble. And this is important. And I've said before, how many times in your life have you walked with your eyes on God, you're hiding in God, and you get past, you get past a certain point and you look back and say, boy, there was a big mess back there. You know, what, what did I just walk through? <laughs> because the storm pounded on God and not us. And you look back and you say, man, there was a whole bunch of trouble there. You know, my family was all kind of messed up and my friends were or my church was or whatever it might be. Work was terrible. And you look back and you've gone through in peace because you were hiding in God. Then there's other times when you get a little puff of wind and it keeps knocking you over. You know, and it's not even bad when compared to what you walked through with God. <laughs> The storm you walk through with God, you walk through some little little puffs of wind and they're knocking you all over the place because you're trying to do it on your own. And this is where it is. Where are we hiding? Where, you know, we see the trouble coming. Are we just dumb enough to keep walking into the middle of the trouble? Yes. Oftentimes we are, unfortunately. But we should be prudent. We should be with God. We should be hiding. If we're hiding in God in the first place, we have nothing problem anyway. But when we're out there doing our own thing, We've all seen it. We've all caused the trouble. We've all done things that we re regret that we've done. We, we walked right into the Satan's trap. We walked right into a sin. And God's saying, hide. Hide. Hide in me. I'm your protection. Verse 4. I'm going to change this to what it actually says in, in, in the Hebrew. As a consequence of humility and fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. If we are walking humbly, not arrogantly, we're walking in Christ and we're fearing God, following his word, following his truth, he says that there are riches, honor, and life. Life we know, eternal life. If we're in him, we've got eternal life. And we actually have real life. Think back when you got saved, how you all of a sudden transferred into a living being who actually felt things and, and enjoyed things. And honor. Honor from God, honor from other individuals because we're following God's way, and then riches. And this is not just physical riches. This is the rich reward of the fruit of the Spirit. We have God's love. We're joyful. We're peaceful. You know, to me, that kind of riches is much more valuable than having a million dollars in the bank and having to wonder how I'm going to keep it and, and how I'm going to use it. Uh, just to be peaceful and have joy and have honor and have life. God says it's out there. And, and this riches has a very interesting thing because it's this format between riches of good and bad and, and riches are good because it allows us to get things. But so many people who get rich will depend on their riches and they get in trouble with God because they start depending on riches 
rather than God. So riches are really a snare for a lot of people because it takes the dependency off God and says, I'm just dependent on my riches. I can buy whatever I want. Have you ever heard anybody say that? You know, I can just go out and buy whatever I want. I want a new car, I'll just go out and buy it. I want, yes. you know, and I've been there. I've actually been there where I could, you know, within, within a month's time, I could go out and buy just about anything I, we needed. Once upon a time, way back in the past. The arrogant person said, buy whoever they want. Oh, yeah, they might even oh, say, yeah. buy whoever. And somebody who's really rich can almost buy people. For a because price they, we are bought, they said. Because they say everybody has their price. That's right. Uh, you know, now, if we're following God, that, that price may be awfully high but, or non-existent as far as they're concerned. But, but the idea is God is willing to give us riches if we will stay focused on him and stay humble and fear him. Most people will never see riches because if they got riches, they would no longer be humble, they would no longer fear God, or they would fear him, but it would be at a much lower level. Because you think about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, Good master, what must I do to, uh, to inherit eternal life? And he gave him you know, a number of commandments, and he arrogantly said, I've done these since my youth, which we know that he didn't because God told him, you know, uh, you know, don't murder, don't do these things. And Jesus had already raised the standard of if you thought about, about it, you've already committed. And then his last step was, okay, you, you, you say you're okay with men, now let's take it to God. It says, go and sell everything that you own and give to the poor. Then follow me. And he walked away sad because he had much money. And his much money had become his God. He had a God before God and it was his money. And so many people do that. They make their possessions, you know, God. And I don't know if you've ever met it. I've met people, especially with new cars. <laughs> new cars have a habit of becoming a God to people. It's got to be washed every day and don't let anybody within three, three inches of the car because they might scratch it. They might breathe on it. Uh, you know, fingerprints. Uh, you might get fingerprints on it. Heaven knows you might get a scratch on it, but fingerprint, you know, have you ever met anybody that loved their, loved their vehicle that much? I work in an ATV Can't shop. Yeah. ATV shop. Don't touch My the paint shop. Your yeah. dad. Uh, they, they, make their, they make their possession a, a God to them. Now, they would never admit that they have a God in front of God, but that, that vehicle has become God. Their house might become that way. Their furniture, I've met people who have a room of furniture, a room in their house that nobody can go into and mm -hmm. sit on because it is for company. But it, the company can't go in there either. <laughs> you can't eat in there. You can't sit on the furniture. It is there just to look pretty until it starts fading because it's old, and then you get rid of it and put new stuff in, but nobody's, you know, nobody can sit in it. They keep plastic over it. <laughs> Some people keep plastic, uh, uh, but you, you, you hear what I'm saying. There's this idea of losing that humility and fear of God and putting something above God. With my three kids, I never had the option of that, but all my other sister-in-laws did. They had yeah. that one room. You have to also have a big enough house to have one room when, when you got the kids, too. So but, and then and the wooden floors that were out of this world gorgeous, they had runners. To with, walk on. With plastic covers over the runners, and don't step one foot off that runner and touch that wood floor. Mm -hmm. I said, then I think I'd rather have cheap wood. A lady had new wooden floors put in, those fitted kind, and she went and was doing her laundry, and she left the water on the sink, and it overflowed. It didn't have There went the wooden floor. <laughs> and it all warped, and she told the guy that did it he had to relay that whole section because it mm -hmm. was uh, mm -hmm. because she was so careful with that wooden floor. Yeah. No, I got and then she had flood damage. All right, verse 5. Thorns and snares are in, are in the way of the forward. He that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. And forward, we've talked about forward quite often. That's the perverse, the, the crooked, the person who twists things. Thorns and snares. You know, and that means trouble, basically trouble, is in his way, in his walk. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to walk, you know, walk out in the wilderness or the countryside with thorns and snares all over the place. Uh, not so much out here, but a lot back east where you get all these blackberry bushes and everything, and the I next thing you know... There's a lot over here on this side. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, we got the, the goat heads that cover this side over here. Yeah, it's, uh, but goat heads don't really keep you. If you have shoes on, goat heads aren't going to keep you from going walking, walking across, but... If you've ever tried to walk through a blackberry patch, mm -hmm. you know, 
don't try it. it you can't do it. So, but, and it says, he that keeps his soul or guards his soul shall be kept far from them, far from the snares. Again, it's this idea of where are we hiding our, hiding ourselves? Are we hiding ourselves in God? If we hide ourselves in God, we are kept from trouble. The only time we're really going to get into trouble is when we get outside and do, try to do things on our own and say, God, I can do this. If you ever say that, even in your mind, you're in trouble. Yes. If you ever say, I can do this, then basically you're saying, I don't need God's help, you're headed for trouble. My, yeah. my line is, Lord, I could do it with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We can do anything with him. I can do everything, anything with Christ. Without him, we're in trouble because we're, he's going to make sure that we fail. And we've already looked at, you know, if we're proud enough to think that we can do it by ourselves, God is going to arrange things to make sure that we fail. And that includes anything that we're doing for God. And that goes for pastors and teachers. A lot of times they fail because they got proud. And God says, okay, let's see how long you can last without my help. And it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long. Take right. that attitude to work. God, you're going to be here and I'm going to hold your hand throughout the day. Don't let it go. Please don't hurt me. I think in my case, I'm going to hand him my tongue. I <laughs> say, please don't turn it loose. Almost all of us get in trouble with our tongue more than anything else. And that's what James tells us. The tongue is full of fire and poison that causes problems. We usually speak before we think. We... And the problem with, with speaking is once it's spoken, can't it can't be taken back. It's out there forever. And whatever poison has been leached out because of our tongue is going to run its course and sometimes comes back to really hurt us. And that is why James said the man who controls his tongue is a perfect man. And none of us are ever going to be perfect, but the oh, more no. we get to know God, the more we hide in God, the more we're discerning by God, the more we learn to think about what we speak, the better off we're going to be. And we've said it already, Proverbs is full of it. It's better to say nothing than to say the wrong thing. And it really is. It's so important that we learn that sometimes it's better just to be quiet and not say something because the tongue can stir up so much trouble. Uh, and you can even say the right thing but have the wrong tone in there and have somebody add a motive to what you said and all of a sudden there's a huge problem and you said nothing wrong. Okay, mm -hmm. that happens with a lot of people. A lot of people will, when they hear somebody said, they immediately assign a motive to what they said. And it's usually negative when they assign motive. Uh -huh. Well, they said that because, <laughs> you know, so-and-so did this and did that and, they, and this is why they said that. How do you know? Are you inside their brain knowing their motive? No. Right. And yet you've assigned a motive and now all of a sudden you're upset at their motive and whoever you've talked to about their motive now is upset and they didn't say anything or mean anything. You know, and all of a sudden it's because I added my sinful nature's reading into that, that and I assigned a sinful motive to what they said and all of a sudden they are terrible, mean people and all they said is, I think so-and-so is going to be gone today. <laughs> Now, and they assign all kinds of motive. Well, they didn't like me, so they're not going to be here, and that's why they're not here. And, you know, they got mad at this person, so they're not here. All they said is they're not going to be here. They didn't even tell you why. And they got a hospital, hospital visit at the, for an x-ray. You know, so they're not going to be here. They just didn't tell you the reason, and all of a sudden you're putting all motives on it. Right. And nothing was said, nothing was done, and there's issues. And that's why we've got to be so careful we have to be so careful, and this is why I say it over and over and over again. We are sinful beings. We're going to offend people with our sin, and they're going to offend us. If we ever start expecting people to be perfect, we're asking for trouble. Because we're going to start assigning bad motive to everything they do because they're sinners. If we expect them to do things that are going to offend us at some point in their life, then when they offend us... <laughs> told you so. It will be, okay, they're just a sinner and I knew they were going to do it. And that saves me from trying to assign motive. It saves me from trying to get mad at them. It saves me from taking it personal because they're just sinful beings and they're acting with the way they are. If you wait till I mess up, you can hold your breath. 
because you all mess up before you smother. And that's and that's just the key to this is what is our expectation of people? The world tells us that people are basically good, so the world can get upset when somebody does something bad because they're supposed to be good. The biblical worldview says they're sinners, so when they mess up and do something wrong, they're just being who God said they are. But, and I've said it over and over. I go, I'm more surprised when people do good and righteous things than I am when they sin or do something evil. Because it is against nature to do good and righteous things. There's certain people I expect it more of because I know they're in God's word and they're following God. But even when they do something that's on the nasty side or sinful side, it's like, okay, I'm still not surprised because they're sinners. And I hope that when I do something that offends somebody, they're going to say, well, pastor's just a sinner just like we are. He didn't mean to do it. Sometimes we mean to. Sometimes we don't. A lot of times we don't, especially as Christians. But it happens. All right, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is the servant of, to the lender. He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of, the, of his bread to the poor. Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproof shall cease. All right, verse 6, very famous verse. Almost everybody has heard this one. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. And this is very interesting because first you have to look at what does train up mean? Teach. Huh? Teach. Really does. It means teach, but even more importantly, it means inaugurate. Put them in the path. Teach them the right way of doing things. Set them apart. It actually also means to dedicate. Dedicate that child. Teach them. Set them up. Teach them what it means to follow God and how to be, behave. Does that mean they're going to absolutely behave the way you taught them? Not necessarily. But always in the back of their mind should be the teaching of mom and dad of, of what, what it means to be righteous. Now along with teaching a child the way they should go is being an example of the way they should go. I can't tell you, I worked with kids for 20-some years, and I can't tell you how many kids I, and what I knew about parents in their houses and what was done in their houses by those kids. <laughs> and you would see somebody who was supposed to be a leader in the church, a deacon, even pastors, and you would hear the, the stuff their kids would tell you about and going, wow, this is not being a godly example. And when I babysit, I, I used to tell the mothers every now and then, kind of warning them, all babysitters should be bonded because we hear it all. And we, we hear the stuff that shouldn't be heard. We, you, know, you hear the stuff that you know, may have been a one-time event that just gets stuck in the kid's mind. So you have to take it with a grain of salt. But that training up of a child has to be consistent from the, from the parent. Many, many teenagers leave the church because their home life is not Christian. They get taken to church on Sunday morning. They get stuck in a class. They, they make the, you know, the parents make professions of following God. And then from that point on, they leave that, at noon that day, and God doesn't exist for them. And the kids look at them and say, okay, we went to church, but why? Why did we go to church? And they're not looking for perfect parents, but they are looking for parents who lift up God, mm -hmm. who open their Bibles and study at home, who pray. The greatest thing that can ever happen is for kids to catch their parents praying and reading the Bible. Better than yet, inviting them to do it with you. I, when, with my dad, I always found my dad studying and praying, and, and, and I've already shared with you, whenever I'd ask him a question, it always went to the Bible. Terrible as a teenager when you're trying to find some way to disagree with your parents and they're going to the Bible for your answer. Because now you have to disagree with God. And, you know, especially as a Christian teenager, you didn't want to disagree with God. And it's like, okay, you know. That's the way my mother-in-law raised her, her kids. Well, what does God say about it? Yeah, and it was always, let's Bible. look and see what God says. And, but, but that brought a difference in my life because all of a sudden I'm seeing a God who's a 24-7 365 day a year, God. 
Yeah, not just an hour on Sunday. Yeah, not just an hour or two on Sunday. And unfortunately, many kids are raised with an hour or two on Sunday. And worse yet, when I was teaching kids, I had more parents that wanted me to be the one that led their kids to the Lord and, and do all their spiritual training in one hour a week. Right. And it's like, I looked at some of them and go, can't be done. You are their primary trainer. We're, we're teaching them here, but if you're, not, if you're not giving them training, they're not being trained. They're not being taught. And it's so critical. Train up a child in the way he should go. way is walk. How they should walk. How do we do that? We have to be the example. And I've shared with many of you, I've shared with everybody here, that when I first got to Kingman and I had to take the youth uh, to Phoenix one time and, the, and I got pulled over by the police in the, in the speed trap, and you know, I didn't know it was there, I didn't see the sign change because I was in the left-hand lane and I got pulled over and the, the police officer was very nice to give me a warning. But the way the kids reacted, they watched how I reacted to the police and the comments were things like, well, you sure are different than my dad. He'd be cussing and swearing because the police officer stopped him. Gave me opportunities to teach these kids a Christian attitude toward authority. Even though it was irritating, even though it was embarrassing, and it led to a very great discussion with the boys that evening as they opened up and asked some Bible questions because they had seen, seen something different than they were used to. And it opened up some very deep Bible questions until Satan got into the girls and they raided the boys. Yeah. <laughs> Messed up the whole time. <laughs> the girls did what? Satan got into the girls and they decided to make a raid on the boys' side of the house. Uh, oh, never mind. <laughs> Just to make things up, you know. You mean they acted like kids? They acted like kids. <laughs> it was what it was, but it ruined a very great spiritual yes. spiritual time that yes. was going on, and I wish that it hadn't happened, but God, you know, knew that it was how long we had. But things happen, and it sets up opportunities to share. And when we're with our kids, they, they watch how we react. We tell them to honor authority. And this is one of my reasons I have problems with people that go to public school. They'll send their kids to public school, and they go, well, I'll just reteach them when they get home. That's fine and dandy. I'm glad they're reteaching them. But what are you telling your kid? This authority that you're supposed to honor when you go to school is wrong and lying to you. I have a problem with it. I'm glad they're reteaching them. <laughs> but you send them into a school to be taught wrong, say, you know, honor authority, and then you come back and say, they're, they're wrong. <laughs> It really is a very mixed message to the kid. Uh, and it's very important. We think we need to think about these things that go on. I did that. All good parents are going to do that. If they're, if they're unwise enough to send their kids to public school, and then they, have, then they have to do what they have to do, and that's reteach them when they come home. So they might as well just homeschool them because they're reteaching them anyway. But that's my personal soapbox that I will get off. <laughs> And that's part of the problem with all of that when it comes down to it. We, we have to do what's right for our kids, but yet it is going against authority and, and it causes confusion. And, you know, when you get pulled over, you know, you're driving, speeding like I almost always do, and you get pulled over by the police, how do you react? You, you know, are you upset that you got pulled over or are you respectful? And it's all a part of that picture that has to be there. Uh, and they need to see a consistent picture. Because it is important, and, and this is why I say we've got to be careful how we confuse our kids when we, we have a standard for one place and another standard for another place. And this is where this standard idea comes into. It's one, we do one thing around Christians, but we can do anything we want with the non-Christians. And that's out there. That belief is out there, and it's not right. God has one set of rules. It's hard now, for me because of the family situation. And I really have to watch my mouth because I'm a risque person anyway. Yeah. And next thing you know, Daryl Pete's got me going on the telephone and I find out I'm on speakerphone and I'm putting a floor show on for everybody. Mm -hmm. I, I called back and I said, am I on speakerphone? She said, yes. I said, good. I apologize. Okay. But the first step would be to to claim, yeah. change, change your mind and get it cleansed through the Word of God so you don't ever fall into that problem. So it's, uh, and this is, this is issues that, that are out there, you know, uh, that people have to be careful what they say, careful what they entertain, mm -hmm. careful mm -hmm. uh, when, they, when they get into silliness because God says that we will answer for every idle word that we speak 
And usually those are when we get ourselves in trouble. Those little idle words that I'm not thinking about that, that kind of show the depth of where my heart is. You know, because when, we, when we're speaking it, we speak from the abundance of our heart. So we got to be careful with these things because that shows that there's a problem that needs to be cleansed with God's, God's way of thinking and changed completely. Because then what happens next month when, the, when something comes up and I want to talk to them about the Lord and they're sitting there remembering the risk I think I said the month before. Yep. Who does she think she is? Yeah, yeah she's no better than we are. Mm-hmm. And then it says, he, when he is old, he will not depart or turn aside from it. And really, in, in essence, what ends up happening is if we truly bring our children up in the way they should go, most of the time, not 100% of the time, but most of the time, our children will return to God. When my oldest son went off the deep end with, his, with, his, with drugs and alcohol and stuff, and we ended up kicking him out of the house because he brought the drugs in the house, I knew that he would come back. Because as a teenager, he had a love for God. Mm-hmm. He had a real love for God that kind of got messed up at one point, and part of it was because I think we were someplace we weren't supposed to be, and it really affected him. He is responsible for his own actions, but he went off the deep end, but I knew that he would come back to God, and he has and did. And he's a you know, strong follower of God, and he has miraculous things that he speaks and teaches, and at some point he's going to realize that he's supposed to be a teacher as well mm-hmm. because of the things he understands. He's not there yet, but he's not there yet. But he someday he will remember and, and come come that direction. Uh, he's, he's made a big progress. Yeah, he's made a lot of progress, and he's amazes people when he speaks. And his pastors are trying to get him to speak more, <laughs> but he's not really wanting to do that. So, verse seven: the rich rule over the poor, and the borrow is borrower is the servant to the lender. And this is true, we see it, the rich are in charge. It's just the way it always is because they've got the money to be in charge. And in most cases, as long as they're not being abusive, rich, rich people show that they have the ability to rule and run things. Because uh, if you are somebody who can manage things, you usually end up being blessed for that. Uh, now, of course, there are rich that abuse people, and that's not what this verse is talking about. You know, God's not saying that just, but the rich, they're, they're people who are able to control and, and make things happen. Uh, good managers are that way. They, they can make, I've made money, lots of money for lots of different people in companies over my years because I'm a good manager and I can, I make sure things happen. And this is what he's saying. The, the rich, the rich are able to, you know, are able to, see things and anticipate things, not walk into the middle of traps, not do and say things that make people mad and angry, but, you know, and some people will say they're manipulative, and maybe they are, <laughs> but, you know, manipulative is not necessarily a bad thing unless, you're, you know, if you're trying to do good for everybody. When you're trying to manipulate people to do good for yourself and harm them, then you've got a problem. Right. Uh, and, and each one of our words, you know, manipulate mean is a negative word to most of us, you know, but you can manipulate and be, be doing things that are good. Uh, it's the same thing when we talk about brainwashing. You know, so many people will say, when you teach a child about God in, the, in his early years, you're brainwashing them. And I go, thank you, I will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to call it brainwashing? I'll call it teaching and instruction. If you want to call it brainwashing, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. You know, we've, got to be, we've got to understand that these words that are used as negative words don't always have just negative impact. Uh, and even when I teach the class on how to study the Bible, there are multiple ways to study the Bible. Each way has strengths and weaknesses. And the key is, you know, and, and I've had people get mad at me because, I, you know, when I say there's a weakness to ways of studying the Bible, they go, well, how can you say it? You need to know. I love doing word studies, and that's to take a concordance and read read a word all the way through the whole Bible, everywhere that word's used. Very powerful way to study. It has a couple of drawbacks. Number one, you lose the context of the verse unless you purposely read the verses around it. You're taking a verse out of context and that can be a problem. You can also get lost in that one word and miss all kinds of other great things. It's a very powerful way to study. 
One of my favorite studies was when I, when I studied the word fear and all the ways that it's translated in the scripture. There's only like 1,400 of them. <laughs> I read all of them, and it gave me a very powerful understanding about fear. So it's a very wonderful way to study, and I recommend it to people to study. If you want to know what God thinks on a particular topic, you know, read, read every verse on that. You want to know what it means to be a father? For those that are fathers, we read every verse on being a father. You want to know what it means to be a mother? Read every verse. Now, many of them will just be, she was the mother of. Okay, but others are actually what the mother is supposed to do or what a father is going to do. You know, what do we, what do we want to read about the, the God's grace? Read every verse on, on grace. You know, very powerful way to study. But you need to understand that it has a weakness. And that is you get lost. You lost in the word, lost lose context. All right. And the second half of that, and the borrower is a servant to the lender. And this is true. If you borrow money from somebody or some, some institution, uh, they're going to make sure you pay them back. And they don't care what your excuses are. They don't care that you've lost your job. They don't care that your, your crop was wiped out by the, thunder, the, the, the flood that went through your land. They want to be paid. And if you don't pay them, they will take something that belongs to you. Uh, and so they are, everything is controlled by them. If you ever get into debt and you start, play, and you start paying your debts and then you start getting convic convicted that you're supposed to tithe, you have a problem. God wants his money and you owe all this money to the lenders. It's a big issue. And all through scriptures, God says it is not wise to borrow. It is not wise to borrow. Uh, we're not like the Jews. The Jews had a freedom every, every 50 years. They were totally free of their debt uh, so that they would get everything back and be freed of their debt. On the 49th year, borrow lots. <laughs> Well, it's unfortunately, God actually said don't do that, but uh, I'm sure because he told the lenders not to lend, not to, to not lend just because it was the 49th year. So I think that would kind of be one of those situations that make you want to throw up. You would, you would, you yeah. would be more, no, you would be a lot, book. you would be a lot careful. Um, there's, don't worry about it. I just leave it. Uh, he that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail. He that sows iniquity, yeah. evil, hard times. And there are we know that there are people that do that, that, that want to do that sometimes. But it says that they will reap vanity. And this is not what vanity normally means. This does not mean emptiness. This means that they will reap troublesome sorrow. And this is reaping what you sow, uh, reaping what you sow. If you sow evil, you will reap trouble. And you know we look at it sometimes and say, "Well, it sure doesn't look like that's what they're happening," but we don't know their heart. We don't know the worries of that they have. And we've talked many times about this. You know, we look at guys and gangs and you know and and all these things you know uh, that cause you know sow trouble. And you look at them and you think, wow, they got it all together. They got all these guards, you know, keeping them from trouble. They, they tell people to do this and they do it. But they're sitting there with some great worries. You know, what, if, what if one of my, one of one, one of my people turn against me? They're always worried about a strong man turning against them. And they keep a close, close eye and, on anybody who's strong. And they follow Sao uh, Tung's advice, keep your enemies close. <laughs> And so that if they see anything changing, they get rid of their get rid of them. What is it? Keep your friends closer and, and your, your enemies, enemies closer. closer, because you want to know what your enemy's doing at all times. And this is and they have these problems, and then they're worried about the police catching them or somebody turning them into the police or you know they do not live the peaceful life everybody thinks they live. They they seem materially successful, but they don't have peace in their heart. They're reaping that burden. And David in one of the Psalms said, why do the heathen rage and the nations exalt themselves? You know, because he's looking at there, you know, he was being jealous of the people that seemed to be getting everything. And we need to be careful because, you know, the old adage, you know, you know before you, you get what you wish, you know, to walk a mile in their shoes, you may not want what they had. You know, 
if you got there, you'd say, wow, this isn't as good as I thought it was. Right. Uh, and very, very important that we look at being following God and just saying, God, I want to serve you. You know, I can honestly say that there may be changes in my life ahead because Jesus has decided there's going to be changes ahead. And I get terrible, terrible lonely sometimes. I imagine you do too. Mm -hmm. But I don't uh, covet anybody else's life. Me either. Yeah. Well, that's and that's good. That's a good place to be at because we as Christians should be happy with whatever God gives us, knowing that He's given us what we're to have. All right, verse nine. <laughs> he that hath a hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he gives his bread to the poor. And this bountiful literally is a pleasant or good eye. They're looking for the good, and it says that they will be blessed. Why? They help the poor. And I've heard people that go, you know, they get upset and they go, well, we shouldn't help the poor because we're just supporting their laziness or, you know, we're not helping them. God is very clear that we're to help the poor. Now, his way of helping them is to give them a hand up and make them do some work. We talked about this. You, you when you harvested in your field, you weren't to glean the field and pull every little bit off. You were to leave the corners, not even harvested at all, so that the poor could go in and work. And that's God's answer to that. The poor need to do some work so that they feel of value and not worthless. In our, in our day, especially with our government handing out money to the poor, they make people feel worthless. They make people feel like they have no value. And then on the flip side of that is that they start depending and, and thinking that they deserve what they're getting and they're not willing to work for it and that's where we are today. I mean, they talk about cutting them off and making them work, and they get all frantic that we're owed this. All right, verse 10. Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. And this is, this is a whole idea of the scorner. Those who talk arrogantly, that mock, that uh, deride, uh, that are inflated, uh, that inflate their, their opinion scorners cause trouble they stir up problems and it says cast out the scorner and contention shall go out <laughs> and strife and reproach shall cease and it may and this is just a straightforward one if you get somebody who's trying to mi mix things up and cause trouble you get rid of them and you will be in a place where that strife and that contention ceases now and it's so easy to be somebody that that causes that problem. Uh, I know who it is. Uh, that talks arrogantly, that mocks, that derides people. Uh, and I love that part, talk arrogantly, because that means I'm, I know more about than, than you do, and I have all the answers. And if you ever meet anybody who's got all the answers, they're, they're a pain in the neck to be around, because they're, <laughs> always, they're always right. They've always got all the answers. Uh, they think they're right. Well, they think they're right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Can I say that I don't? <laughs> if I ever knew anybody that could stick their foot in their mouth as many times as I do, as far as God's got all the answers. Yeah, God's got the answers. <laughs> he yes, got the answers. Yes, He does. So, but it it talks about that. You know, don't hang around those people if you can help it. You know, it's catchy. You know, it's yeah. catchy. It causes problems. They they stir up they stir up issues. They they. You know, they cause contentions, they, they strife and reproach. You know, strife is that whole idea of causing judgments. Reproach is shame and disgrace. And it's so easy to give shame and disgrace to somebody, you know, that by just saying the wrong thing to them. We're supposed to love and edify, and it's so easy sometimes to drag people down. And we want to be so careful. Our human nature wants to put people down. Our human nature wants to do that. And I just, I keep going over that. Human nature, my flesh desires to put people down and make me look better than them for whatever reason. It's human nature, it's going to happen. If I let my if I let my flesh rule and run, that's what we'll do. We need to be careful, we need to edify, we need to build up. We need to walk in God, we stay hidden in God, we stay discerning, we watch what we say. Even then we may say things that are going to hurt and 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 and, and harm because of who we are. Mm -hmm. But we need to be careful. We need to be so careful that we're not out to make problems. We're not out to cause issues. 
We're going to look at doing the right things. How do you spell edify? Edify, E-D-I-F-Y. So we want to build people up. We want to edify. We want to help them out. We want to watch our language and talk to God. If you have trouble, if we're having trouble with our tongues, we need to talk to God and say, God, I need you to help control my tongue. You know, you know I need to take that one step further. I need God to help me control my mind. That would be even Before further. It gets too much. Huh? Well, that's what we're told, that we are to renew our mind with the washing of the regeneration of the word. We keep ourselves so much in the word of God that we, we fill our mind. And this is why I've always said, if you're going to spend any time doing any kind of research into uh, cults or other, other religions, spend an equal amount of time in God's word to wash your, or more to wash your minds out. And I'll even go further. If you're going to spend a lot of time watching TV and movies, spend an equal amount of time in God's Word. And I haven't the last two weeks. That's because, a confession. Because we're filling our mind with the garbage of the world. Uh -huh. We need to fill our mind with an equal or more amount of His Word. And it's important. It is really important that His Word be what's in our mind constantly. And this is why I really talk about using... Christian radio, listening to good teachers, getting into God's Word, doing like Samuel does. He's on his app, app on his uh, tablet. He's got the Word of God, and he listens to the Word of God being read constantly. Constantly. Matter of fact, he's still playing at the house, even though he's at home and he's at, <laughs> he's at work. So right now at the house, the Word of God is being read to the dog. I never could see that. The advantage of confessing your sins one to another. But right this second, I feel good. Because the things that was bothering me down in here, yeah. they're out there now and they ain't here no more. And that's <laughs> yeah, a key, no, that's the key to it. Story. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. And Lord, we just thank for this day. We thank for the opportunity we've had to open your word in the study. We ask you just to help us to, to make the the word living and quick in our hearts and, and, yes. and applicable and help us to apply it. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.